Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome. My name is Michael Johnston, and this is another episode of New Books and Sociology, a channel on the New Books Network. Today, we will be discussing The City and the Hospital, A Paradox of Medically Overserved Communities, published by University of Chicago Press in 2023. Um, and it's by Dan Skinner, who is an Associate Professor of Health Policy in the Department of Social Medicine at Ohio University. Jonathan Arwin, Professor and Department Chair of Sociology at University of Massachusetts Amherst. And Berkeley Franz, Associate Professor of Community-Based Health in the Department of Social Medicine at The Ohio University. Welcome to the show today, uh, Dan and Jonathan. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. So so to begin with, the city and the hospital, it seems to be uh, an interesting topic. The hospital sometimes gets, you know, overshadowed by several other institutions in the city. So why the hospital and why the study? Well, uh, Dan and I both were uh, graduate students at the um, City University of New York uh, back in the day. And Dan was a political scientist and studying health policy. And I was a sociologist to study cities and culture. And the two of us from our friendship thought um, that we would, what, what would be the focus if two scholars like us would, um, you know, kind of come together and, and think of a, a puzzle to try and solve. And um, I, I believe in a restaurant on Long Island, I think that we hammered out the idea that uh, it would be really interesting to focus on the hospital and the relationship between the, that institution and the neighboring communities around it. And so the two of us worked for a little while together, and then we brought along Berkeley friends uh, to join us in this project. And really, it's the kind of culmination of what happens when you look at health policy and the you know, kind of long-standing relationships of urban communities with their anchor institutions. In a way, the, you know, the book is a recasting too. You know, people know hospitals, obviously. You see them, you know, we read about them. We know that, you know, this hospital is the best in X, Y, or Z according to this ranking or whatever. But really, I mean, hospitals um, are we're just kind of calling out for deeper sociological analysis, but also just like kind of recasting them. I think the big question that John and I and 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 Berkeley kind of got into was what happens when you look at a hospital from a completely different angle than the one that is the usual angle? Yeah, that, that uh, leads, me to, leads me to the next question. When I think of hospitals, I often think of, you know, care facilities and ones that provide uh, health care to the general public. However, it seems that with the uh, lens that you're approaching this with and with your findings, that was not necessarily the case for all hospitals, right? You know, hospitals obviously are, um, you know, huge um, money pieces of our healthcare system. And we, you know, in a way, this opens the door to the larger question about what's going on with American healthcare. Um, but, you know, uh, Amer American hospitals, you know, get a lot of praise for the amazing things they're able to do, um, you know, technological developments and, you know, fantastic clinical care and, and what have you. But increasingly, health and healthcare are moving to a deeper analysis, which is, you know, and I tell this to my medical students who are heading out into the world, you know, you can do amazing things. A great physician can change lives, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But really to move the needle on things like um, infant mortality or, um, you know, diabetes prevention or things like that, we need a totally different paradigm. And so our book is kind of lodged in this transition that's taking place in American healthcare of 
clinical medicine kind of hitting a wall in some ways, and then starting to look at what are the forces in our communities that are actually pro promoting ill health in ways, and 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 what what you know, to what extent do hospitals have to play a piece? Are are they responsible for this in some ways? And I think that's one of the surprising pieces of our book. And John, this question is for you. Uh, when you um, started your research, what were some of the things that you found in terms of conditions for the most direct communities that are around these hospitals? And what is this paradox that you found? Yeah, thank, thank you, uh, Michael. The, yeah, it's exactly in the subtitle there, right? Um, so what we started to do is to just look at what are the health outcomes in the neighborhoods immediately surrounding the these three cases. We wanted to focus on kind of two cases that are relatively proximate to us. So we picked the Hartford Hospital, which is close to Amherst, the Cleveland Clinic, which is a internationally known uh, hospital in Cleveland. And we, we searched for a third case and what would be a good third case. We thought about four cases or three cases. And um, we decided the four is maybe too much. Three was just right. It's uh, good comparative um, to be able to do that. And we focused in on um, University of Colorado Health uh, Hospital because it moved from downtown Denver uh, for a couple of reasons that perhaps we'll get into and um, and moved to Aurora uh, uh, some miles away. And we were interested in the way that a, a hospital kind of remapped its relationships between, uh, you know, kind of in a new community how it tried to restart those relationships, rebuild histories, you know, start start histories from scratch. So once we figured out those three cases, the one of the first things that we did was, was to map out the census tracts immediately around each hospital. And then we did kind of a first ring around those contiguous, so first the contiguous census tracts, then around those, and then a, a second ring, a third ring, you know, kind of around um, that one. And we we're able to then map and look at how when you get closer to a hospital, the closer that you live to a hospital, the worse the health, comes, the health outcomes are overall. And so with that in mind, we started developing this idea, you know, on a map, you look at a map and you see, you know, kind of the pinpoint of this little cross and you think to yourself, well, those folks must have great access to healthcare. Uh, but just like with um, a, a really fancy university lives in your neighborhood, it doesn't mean that you are automatically admitted to a, uh, a university and you're not necessarily um, be able, being able to access the high quality healthcare um, that are within the walls of the building that you see maybe every day looking out your window. And so we call this the paradox of medically overserved communities. They seem to be overserved because of their sighting and yet um, there are a variety of reasons for why that is uh, not the case. So, yes, John, I think that we, we uh, should talk about the importance of place and community and access to hospitals. You talked a bit about the um, the hospital in Colorado that moved out of the central city and moved to another location. What what does is, is that symbolic of anything? Is that uh, is that important in making sense of? Yeah, go ahead, Dan. You know, uh, the, the story, you know, every, every hospital story is going to be particular, just like studying every every city is going to have its, you know, its own very particular context and histories. Um, but, you know, in, in that case, it, it, you know, one of the things that we, we talk about in the book is 
hospitals are um, insatiable expanders. I mean, they are, they're always looking for the next thing. They're often buying up land, um, you know, and, or acquiring land through various means. And sometimes they just sit on it until they're ready for it. Sometimes they acquire land that's actually quite meaningful to the community. And that creates tension with the community. In the case of the University of Colorado Hospital, it's pretty clear that the hospital couldn't expand anymore. And, and, and that, you know, downtown Denver compared to Aurora, Colorado is, is, is a fairly, fairly well-connected, um, moneyed, um, you know, um, community. Uh, so, you know, in other words, lots of political power couldn't be pushed around, you know. So uh, that happened to align with the Clinton era base closings. Um, there was a, a military base and hospital that was closing down in Aurora. Great opportunity with a big tract of land that they could build on. And that became the the beginning point for that. Aurora also turns out to be, though, one of America's most vibrant and fast-growing immigrant communities, a lot, lots of refugees from all around the world, lots of other kinds of immigrants. So, uh, you know, a, a, a big contrast to downtown Denver in many ways, and also with just, you know, a, a lot of political uh, relevance in terms of what you'd expect to happen there. And then in these different communities, um, depending on the relationship between uh, the neighbors and the hospital, what uh, that had also an impact on on uh, how the neighborhood saw the saw the hospitals, right? Yeah, um, I think that we, uh, what you know, hospitals aren't surrounded. You know, um, uh, neighborhood and community boundaries do not map so easily on census tracts, right? And so, what's what's kind of interesting is is we take a hospital and it might have one set of buildings and entrances that are facing one community and their backs are facing another. So in the case of the Cleveland Clinic, they will often say, we really help our community, um, but it might be organ the, the de definition of community, what, what happens on inside of the hospital and the ways that they talk about community um, mean very specific kinds of community often um, that are advantageous to their, their image. And so uh, the Cleveland Clinic might be oriented towards the Fairfax community, which is in one side of the, the campus. And then the Huff, which is the primarily African-American community, might be, you know, facing a, a different side, which doesn't mean that they don't engage with Huff, um, but they do do, uh, you know, kind of certain programs in the Fairfax community. And then they also expand and uh, do some urban development, um, you know, also in the Huff fam, uh, community. And so, so you have these different definitions that are happening of community internally. Um, you know, also it could be say that they, their community, their sense of community also could be an international community, not just the, the primary local one, but the regional one and, and an international one where um, that the Cleveland Clinic might be drawing from a wide, you know, kind of across the globe. And with Aurora, the same thing, there's, there's their sense of community might be local, very hyper-local, but it also might be the front range of the Rocky Mountains where they try and draw from multiple states um, to bring advanced care into their facilities. So the definitions of community is one of the things that we really focus on both out internally, their definitions of community and, and the way that, that neighborhoods and communities see community and by their claims for um, how they should be getting access to these hospitals uh, are based on a different set of uh, a definition of community, one that is much more localized, of course.
And these views are sometimes uh, opposing, right? These stories that are being told aren't necessarily aligned with what the community says about the hospital, what the hospital says about their community. And it's always not, it's not always clear, as you just said, as to which community they're talking about. Well, you know, one of the other things that, you know, listeners should know about that's, you know, a driver of this book is um, the federal government uh, and the IRS's community uh, health needs assessment uh, requirements, right, for, for nonprofit hospitals. And obviously the word community is right in there. So what is a community? And this is one of the, the kind of the policy prescription pieces of the book that we get into, which is, you know, how does a hospital define a community? It turns out the IRS gives them a lot of leeway. In fact, probably too much leeway, or it's un they're often unclear even what, you know, what's being asked of them. But also, you know, these, these hospitals with their, you know, millions or billions of dollars of revenues are being asked, well, you're getting all these tax benefits. What are you doing for them? Because we don't just establish 501c3s because we don't want these people to have to pay taxes, these institutions to pay taxes. We do it because we think that there's a public service here. There's a public good. And we expect that they will meet that public good. And when you look around the country, you start to realize that many, many hospitals, the Lowen Institute that we draw a lot from, that, you know, um, lots of hospitals aren't pulling their weight, not even close in some cases. Some hospitals are pulling more than their weight. So really parsing that apart becomes an important task for us. And then I, I I do think that you know how the situation is defined is uh, is an important element of this. And uh, based on who these hospitals see themselves as serving, has it resulted in any disparities in terms of uh, race and class and who is it served and who isn't? Well, it can't help but not do that. I think that these hospitals they are um, sticky institutions. They don't move in, in some way when we talk about the Aurora Hospital, it, it gives the impression that hospitals move a lot. Um, but for the most part, these they don't. They're with their stable institutions that have that last generations. And they withstand, you know, epic swings of of um, you know, kind of city history. And so it is it, due to deindustrialization and all the histories that most listeners probably are fully familiar with, these hospitals are, are now sit within places that are often experiencing what Louis Foucault would call advanced marginality. Despite being in the downtown areas, you have people who are uh, marginalized economically, education, and, and through healthcare. And so when you you have those kinds of disparities, you would think that they would be able to address some of them. And as Dan rightly points out, uh, many of them do some amazing work and do some amazing work with their communities. And it's hard to be able to move that needle uh, when it comes to healthcare and health, community health, when there are these kind of uh, longstanding um, real, real disparities, economic disparities that these communities have experienced for generations. And, and of course, you know, you can't study as you know, John's the expert here on, on American urban developments, but you, you can't study American cities without talking about redlining and the history of racial segregation and the way in which that kind of, you know, uh, manufactured poverty based on the inability for wealth to accumulate in these communities. And many hospitals, you know, one of the, one of the things, the assumptions um, that we kind of went into this with and that we were able to confirm was 
hospitals don't end up where they are or stay where they are by accident, right? You know, hospitals can move, um, you know, it's pretty hard to move a hospital, but these are big money entities and they could if they wanted. Um, you know, just like highways don't end up where they end up by, you know, a fluke, right? There's a lot of political power here and there's a lot of intersections with things like real estate markets and rent, you know, zoning and rental law and things like that that's in the background of this. And hospitals are in a, you know, hospital leaders play an important role. They're, they're, they, they have a seat at these tables shaping this policy. And it's for that reason that we find that a lot of them end up in some of these um, poor communities that also tend to overlap with the history of American racism. Well, at the same time, they, they don't necessarily want to sit at the table. They would prefer that the city's, uh, you know, Department of Health or something would take care of it or somebody else would take care of these problems, too. So so they will say on the one hand that they're doing all these good things, but also they will, on the on the other hand, kind of throw their hands up a little bit and say, well, there's only so much that we can really do. And this is not necessarily falling on our Why should this all fall on our shoulders? Um, in our capacity as a hospital. So they, they, I, I mean, Dan, you would agree, they like to play it kind of in, in both ways. Sure, sure. Yeah. yeah, I mean, John will remember, we, we had a conversation with somebody at the Cleveland Clinic who kind of threw their hands up and said, these people in the community want us to fix potholes. Why should we fix potholes? But there's an argument, of course, to be made. You know, there's a lot of traffic generated in the areas around hospitals due to hospital traffic. Just like if you look at the NHS, the, the National Health Service in, in Britain, you know, we, they're reckoning with the fact that hospitals are some of the biggest climate polluters there are in the world. I mean, really, like there are special obligations that hospitals have to deal with their footprint here and, and, and what they do within cities. Well, especially um, one of the words that one of the words that you used to describe these hospitals is that uh, in many cases they are anchor institutions for the community, uh, which means that they play a pretty uh, heavy role in the community. Yeah, I mean, they're, you know, there's a term eds and meds, right? And so they're the, the educational facilities, the medical facilities. And you could pair that also with state and city governments as well as big institutions, big, uh, you know, entities in cities that um, withstand the tests of time. But they also are called eds and meds in part because they don't pay in their property taxes right and so uh one of the things that we talk uh Devari and baldwin talks takes this angle from the med from the ed side so he's a great book called in the shadow of the uh, ivory tower and he's he's down in hartford actually and he takes it that side in some way it, when it comes to this uh, part of the book we very much are in conversation with that book. We kind of take it um, from the other side of looking at, at hospitals and you take a place like hartford the reason why uh, Devari and is is such a it's such a great book and why it's it's so important for me and us and is is because hartford is a great case with, that a city itself is constantly skirting bankruptcy because there are so many institutions that do not pay 51 percent of the available land is uh non-taxable right due to the eds the meds and the state institutions and so what that means is, is that the city while having these big you know, major insurance institutions. Uh, Hartford used to be called America's filing cabinet for that reason. It, you know, kind of rightly deserved that nickname. But then when the insurance companies move to the suburbs, when, when they move away, what are the institutions that are being left behind and how do they um, help support the, the city itself and the city's communities itself, right? And so Ed's and Meds, I think, are, are big, but state institutions also are an important part of it. 
and then just the general population that it brings to these communities, uh, highly knowledgeable, highly successful people uh, who who bring something to the community that otherwise wouldn't be there, be there if not for the ebbs and meds. Yeah, except, you know, uh, one of the if you look at a lot of American hospitals, one of the things they would love to do is to have more of their uh, employees living in communities surrounding the hospitals. You know, they had the dream of walking to work and this kind of thing. It's just not taking place in the United States. People at these hospitals, they are driving in their, you know, nice cars, finding a much coveted parking spot and never giving it up for the rest of the day, which means that they eat in the cafeteria, not the local restaurants. Um, you know, they're, they're, they, they, they come in, they're in the parking garage and they leave and they go to the suburbs. So you know, that, that's a big problem for these communities. What, you know, one of the things we talk about in the, in the book is when, when hospitals expand or when they need something from the community, they often say, Hey, look, we're going to be bringing people in. There's an infusion of cash into local restaurants, things like that. And it just never comes, uh, you know, the, the, these community, you know, the hospitals are right there but there might as well be a moat with alligators in it or whatever, like between them sometimes. Uh, sometimes it's a four lane highway. Sometimes it's, it's, it's you know, it's a river. I don't know, whatever. The, there are all sorts of reasons why hospitals might be within eyeshot and yet completely inaccessible to the community. So that was one of my big questions that I have today is, what does it look like for a hospital to become uh, totally committed to a community. Is it possible? Uh, how, how would a hospital go about this? Um, okay. Yeah. So look, you know, there's going to be so many different models here, right? You know, every hospital is going to have to respond to its own history. You know, Johns Hopkins has a particular history, uh, very racialized history with the community that it's located in in Baltimore. Um, and, but that's just one example among many, many, right? Uh, so my, you know, unsatisfying answer to you is that it's going to look like, uh, you know, it's, it's going to look various across the country. That said, um, you know, if you look at what the IRS is looking at for, you know, think about the, the full kind of tax picture here and, and municipal funds that are not going into local schools and things like that, um, hospitals have a special obligation. This is what residents tell us. Right. And this is what residents told us in the book. Um, they see a hospital as having an obligation to make them well. I mean, at, at a very basic level, preventive health care services and things like that, preventing disease. I mean, you you shouldn't live outside of one of the you know top ranked hospitals in the country and have a uh, crisis in diabetes or um, you know cancer or other, you know, any number of issues, lots of respiratory issues because of poor housing stock. Right. So some hospitals are getting involved in improving housing stock here in Columbus, Ohio. I work with Nationwide Children's Hospital. Um, they have a big program that's doing just this. Um, actually, that's a win win because, you know, if you can keep, you know, get people in, in, in better housing, they'll also stay out of your emergency department and that saves the hospital money. So the, there is a kind of win win scenario taking place in many hospitals. But at a very basic level, um, we need to look honestly at hospitals and, and, and notice that just because they do amazing things and they have these branding departments and PR departments that celebrate those things, they are large behemoths in, in that, that often are the cause of, um, you know, community, uh, disenfranchisement, community, um, you know, just anger. And 
that's the first step probably to, to opening up those unique histories, I think. Yeah, I think part of your, what your your question, you mentioned total commitment, and that that's a, a term that comes from one of our interviews out of uh, Denver and Aurora, where somebody in the nonprofit sphere was saying, you know, you have to under hospital administrators really have to understand their total commitment to the community. And if you do not understand that, you are going to be besieged. And what he in and that kind of phrasing, we open up a chapter because we we find that to be really opening the door for what does it mean to say that you're really committed to this entire community and, and what could that look like? And and your question is like what does it look like? Well, the, you know, Dan mentioned some models, um, but there's there's several models in this book and, and we go into detail detail um, kind of exploring the different kind of local programming that some hospitals are able to do. And so in the Cleveland case, there are programs that are geared towards buying local. So during COVID, there was a realization that um, as supply lines were being cut, that they were they were essentially like, you know, Dan's illustration of uh, being surrounded by a moat. They were surrounded by a moat of, of not having access to the basic needs that they have, like laundry and things like that, which were which were largely outsourced and not to their communities. And so there was a reorientation towards buying local. What does it mean to buy some of your supplies local? Second, trying to hire local. So trying to figure out what are the uh, instead of supply chains, what are the employment ladder, you know, rungs on the employment ladder that we can actually start matching people from the community to to get people in these good jobs? That's one of the things that we heard a lot from the community. Look, you know, we want healthcare, yes, but we also want really good. We want good jobs. You have them behind there. What can we do to kind of to to get access to those? those jobs. And so they were going through and they were looking, what are the, what are the things that prevent people from getting these jobs? Is it, um, you know, kind of, is it smoking? You know, is it a criminal background record? What are the things that are preventing people from, from doing that? And then third, um, well, three, there's also kind of like education, like schooling, but, but the third big one that we looked at um, had to do with trying to find ways to get hospital employees to buy uh, housing locally. So to live local. Right. And so there are a few people who will live and, and they become known in the community. Oh, that person works at the, the hospital. Right. Um, but how can we incentivize? And so they had these kind of forgivable loans for um, $10,000, $5,000 in, in these communities where they're trying to incentivize people who work in hospitals to, to live locally so that they can walk, so they can be members of their community. Right. And this program um, was is a is a model that was being used in in um in cleveland but when we interviewed people in aurora they said oh yeah no we went to cleveland we studied all of it we want to do this we we're trying to do this exactly as they were doing it there we even stole the name we stole you know we stole everything about this program because we know that it's a good model and so michael in your question like what does it look like of that total commitment that's some of the stuff that we're talking about in addition to the potholes that dan was talking about before yeah, you know, I think of uh, I think of this almost like an amoeba, a division of uh, you know, a division of labor, and all of the different opportunities that exist within within a hospital. Uh, it's not just doctors, it's not just surgeons, it's 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 people who are doing the laundry and people who are serving food in the cafeteria. So, I mean, it's a community in itself, which you mentioned earlier. Which community, the hospital community, or or the one outside the doors? Yeah, I mean, hospitals in many American cities, um, you know, are the the um, largest employers, right? And and some of the economic drivers, and you know, 
Others have pointed out that this is not always a good thing. It sounds good on, on the face, but that's a lot of power wrapped up in one institution like this. One of the things I think is worth noticing or just noting uh, is that you know when you talk to people within hospitals, you'll also find a diversity of opinions. You will find some very passionate community health people who are just like walking around the hospital, championing this kind of work. And then you'll find people who are like, this is junk. We're a hospital. We shouldn't have to be doing any of this stuff. You know, so like you really get a diversity there. And um, and then, of course, you have the PR side, which is communities are tired of being used. You know, so you have, uh, you know, some I don't know, some spaghetti dinner and then they make sure that the, the photographers are there and all that like and we get it. Hospitals should be celebrating what they do and they're going to do that. But like, I think a lot of communities, they're overstudied. They're tired of being subjects of research studies that don't ever help them. And they're tired of uh, being told, you know, of, of, of hospitals and, and others, academics too, showing up, doing their job and just like leaving and going to the suburbs or wherever. So um, one of the final questions I had is, what's the difference between a hospital and community-based care facility? When I saw a community-based care facility, I thought of clinics, but I don't think that that's what you mean by a community-based care facility. Uh, is it? You know, American healthcare right now is decentralizing. And, and, and actually this is an exciting piece of, of, of where we are. You know, there's so much to be depressed about in American healthcare. It's nice to know when, when we're doing some things right. Uh, instead of these large citadels, you have hospitals with fewer and fewer beds and you have more federally qualified health centers, community clinics. We saw them in Aurora. We saw them in Cleveland. They're, they're in Hartford. Um, these are local access points, often you know storefronts and things like this with personnel from other institutions doing work closer to the community. And a lot of people feel much safer and more welcomed going to these kinds of facilities. So a lot of the big entities are increasingly um, opening these kinds of places up um, around the country. John spent some time in these. He could probably say some more. Well, I was actually going to say that the one that I thought of was not uh, one that I had actually gone to, but was the um, Langston Hughes Center, which was a, um, I believe, a library uh, in a you know kind of historic of that community, and it was a place where people knew the building itself, right? They knew that it, they knew that it was a uh, what it was. They had it had a history. It had a long time kind of presence and symbolic presence for the community. And so when it becomes a kind of out in a, a branch of um, the clinic or the hospital, it becomes a place where the idea being that it is that more of a community connect point that Dan is mentioning. And so that's one of the, the examples I thought where we did hear administrators reflecting kind of positively on this and, and, and I think people in the community as well. Yeah, I, th I think of a, a, a hospital and, well, not my backyard, but down the road a ways. And it's, uh, you know, these research hospitals, University of Iowa, and not only is a, a care facility that uh, provides medical care to patients, but it's also directly, well, almost directly connected to the football stadium and, uh, you know, other types of classrooms. And and uh, you know while your your book isn't about this necessarily, it, it'd be interesting to see what happens when the ends and beds are mashed up into one. Yeah, I mean, in, in a way, it's just a model of what's sustainable and what's not. If you go back to the 1990s and look at American healthcare, we were rethinking all sorts of things, you know, and 
Like right now here in Ohio, for example, where I am, you know, it sounds extravagant and expensive, but we're increasingly seeing uh, that home, uh, institutions recognizing that home health care is actually affordable because there, it, there's such a bang for your buck in what you can do um, and, and removing transportation as a barrier. So you know, there's a lot of these kinds of, of, of things going on. And I, I think the thing that you know I want to highlight with the book here is that You know, a lot of this is is simply we're going to see lots of innovation, but we're going to see innovation because I think people are calling out hospitals more and more. They're seeing them, you know, the emperor has no clothes kind of thing or whatever the metaphor is I'm looking for, <laughs> you know, like they're not seeing them as just these like amazing things that we have to say, oh, aren't you so great for saving lives and delivering babies? Like, yeah, of course you save lives and deliver babies, but like you also have $3 billion in revenue, let's see, say. So like, Are you earning your keep essentially? And, it, and, it, and you know the hospitals themselves and the American Hospital Association just like rejects all of this and says, no, hospitals are great. Leave them alone. Well, you know, um, I think people are starting to see that a little bit more carefully now and more more closely and, and, and honestly. And that's a huge development. If you think about what's driven a lot of good change in American healthcare, nobody thinks the insurance industry is, you know, what it says it is. Nobody thinks the pharmaceutical industry is should just be left alone because they do such great things. Like we're starting to look at our institutions more carefully and hospitals are the next phase of that. So uh, one final question uh, before we close, what, what would you hope for the average reader um, who picks up this book off the shelf and uh, reads it from cover to uh, from front to back? What would you hope that they would take away and do with this book? Well, first of all, kudos to anyone who reads a book from cover to cover. I, I that I I, I, I maybe will light on fire and on the New Books Network to saying that. But I think that one of the great things about this book is to think what Dan was just talking about was really seeing this in a, in a as a complex set of relationships that are historical, that are cultural, that are symbolic, that are spatial, and not just. Um, you know, kind of policy driven um, that there is, I mean, I'm saying this, you know, with my sociology hat on, um, but there's a lot uh, that sociology can bring to this relationship that I think is not spoken of in uh, what I see in health policy when it comes to this. And I think that that's one of the great, you know, to bring it full circle back. Uh, it's one of the great things about, I think, this partnership of authorship of really taking these two perspectives and seeing what comes comes from it. So I think it's unique. I think it's something that sociology, you know, someone in sociology would would learn, and then somebody from health policy would learn a, a lot from. You know, I have a very basic hope for what will change if people do give us some hours of their life to read our book, which is I hope that they never see a hospital the same again. You know, when you look at a hospital. A hospital is designed to make you feel a certain way about it. And, and, you know, we need to look beyond that to see it as a much more complex thing. So just kind of, you know, why is the hospital there? Why is it in this community? What, what like, it, there are things you can notice as geographers note and, you know, urban sociologists see, I mean, I've learned so much from my colleagues who do this kind of work because these people don't walk through communities and see what I see as a political scientist, they see different things. And, and, and I would hope that, um, you know, hospitals would become much more interesting, complicated, and, um, you know, uh, and, and just more, more uh, worth engaging um, as part of the broader political conversation than it was before.
Excellent. Well, again, thank you, Dan and John, for being on, on the show today to discuss the city and the hospital. Uh, I look forward to continued conversations about this book and about your uh, general, re general research uh, on this topic in the future. Thanks for having us, Michael. It was great. It's great to chat with you. This has been another episode of New Books in Sociology, a channel on the New Books Network. And my name is Michael Johnston. Have a great day.